The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Acts chapter number 12 and verse number 1, and we'll read this chapter together. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, and he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quintarians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. Imagine that alarm clock. Yeah, he was a little bit dazed for a bit. Verse number 8. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him, and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord, on its own. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he woke up, wiped the sleep out of his eyes, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, the same one that wrote John Mark, or uh, the book of Mark, uh, at the mouth of Peter, the same one who went with Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. Verse 13, And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It is an, his angel. But Peter continued knocking, get that picture. And when they had opened the door and saw him, they were, what? Astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with his hand to hold their peace, declared unto him them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. And that's how Luke greatly underestimates when he says, hey, this caused a huge uh, commotion. No small stir among the soldiers, 
what, uh, what was become of Peter. And when Herod had sought for him and found him not, they, uh, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and their abode. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon, some other cities up north. But they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, their friend desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Would you read that with me? But the word of God grew and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. Remember, they were going down there to take the, the relief money down to the, on the believers in the famine. When they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John whose surname was Mark. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture. Be our teacher today as we've come here to learn. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen, and you may be seated. Thank you for standing so very much, and I appreciate that. I want us to grab, first of all, as a matter of introduction, I want us to grab a pattern that has begun to play out in the book of Acts. It's a pattern that we see happen over and over again. If you remember, as we've come through these uh, last several chapters, there's been a lot of the church going out and preaching the gospel. And many things have been happening. In fact, if you'll remember with me, Saul is saved in chapter 9. And then in chapter uh, 9 and verse 29, Saul begins preaching so much so that he has to begin fleeing for his life. In chapter number 9, verse 34, Peter heals Ananias. In, uh, in, in, uh, up in the area of Lydda, and he preaches in Lydda, and the city turns to the Lord. So God begins to do a great work there, and then a word was heard that, that Peter was over in Lydda, and so some men came over from Joppa and asked him to come over to the funeral service of Tabitha. Tabitha is raised from the dead by Peter, by uh, by delegated power from God, God gave him that power. That was not something Peter was just doing on his own. This power came from God. Tabitha is raised, and the whole city turns to God as they announce the gospel in that place. Chapter number 10, God calls Peter up to, uh, up to Caesarea, where Cornelius lived, a centurion, and he preaches the gospel in Cornelius' house, but also in the rest of Caesarea, and people are turning to the gospel, and now this word gets back to Jerusalem, and they're realizing God is bringing the gospel to the Gentiles also, which I just want you to tag this in your mind. They're going up there into, into that area, and they're interacting with the, with the Gentiles was not going to uh, win them uh, good favor with the rest of the Jews back in Jerusalem. The church came along, the church began to see that God was opening up the door. But what I want you to understand is the gospel is being proclaimed everywhere, just as God wanted it to. The gospel is being proclaimed everywhere. The gospel is even making its way down into, into Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch and the uh, ministry of Philip. 
but now it is staged and ready to go from Antioch up into Asia Minor. The gospel is on its way everywhere, and it's happening through the preaching of the word the same way that it's going to happen in our day as God's people preach and proclaim the word of God in our day, and they do not back down from the truth. Let's not be silent Christians. People speak of a silent majority, but God never intended the church to be silent. And we must be, uh, we must be loud and bold with the right message. The message that is going to change people is the message of the gospel. And we find as Paul and Barnabas are there in Acts 11, and as they are preaching the gospel, and as they're teaching the people, the church of Antioch, there first, as they have been discipled, as Christ's likeness is being born out in their life and growing in their life, they're first called Christians. I just want us to get the picture that God is on the move in that area, and, and people are being stirred with the message of the gospel, and it's gaining notice. So much notice that we open up chapter number 12 and we immediately see persecution happening. So I want you to catch this. We see the preaching of the word of God. And there's been persecution along the way. But I want you to realize there's a cycle that goes on in the, in the book of Acts of preaching of God's power, the gospel changing lives. And then those that, that uh, hate the gospel, hate Jesus Christ, mainly the religious leaders and then sometimes political leaders, they get on board and they begin to persecute the church. The church turns to prayer because they, they're not looking for God to deliver them. Oftentimes they're praying, God, give us boldness that we might proclaim your word. And they pray the right prayer and they seek God's power. And God does exactly that. He gives them power and the gospel is advanced through this cycle going over and over again. And friends, let me guarantee you something today. This is the same cycle that will be in play today. We preach the gospel we find as we lift up our voices and say Jesus Christ is king and those that want to be king in our world today feel threatened by that message and they are threatened by that message. They bring on the persecution, the church turns to prayer and there will be more power as we continue to seek God and do his bidding no matter the cost. So keep this cycle in your mind as we go through this chapter. The church... As we defined again last week, and as I'll continue to define it, is the assembly that is called out of the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not the same as, as, a, as, a, uh, as some group meeting that's meeting in a bar this morning, a group of friends. We're, they're an assembly, but it's not the same. We are called out of the world by Jesus Christ. It makes us a living organism, a spiritual organism, and this church, the church, this called out assembly, was living out... They were called Christians, and declaring their Christian faith. It was as unmissable as a city set on a hill. Didn't Jesus talk to us about that? It was unmistakable. They, they were taking over that area. In fact, the Bible says it later on in the book of Acts that they were known for turning the world upside down with their doctrine. It was unmissable. God says and reminds us and really warns us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The persecution that the church was facing at this time should be no surprise because God said, Hey, if you live out my life in the world today, they hated me, they're going to hate you, you're going to suffer persecution. 
May we not cower in fear from that. May we uh, accept it boldly and calmly as our Lord did. Philippians 1 and verse number 29, after it challenges us to strive together for the faith of the gospel, Paul tells the Philippians, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, we like that part. Yes, I'm saved. Thank you for saving my soul. But also to suffer for his sake. God did not just save you so you could live a hunky-dory life. He saved you to be an ambassador, his representative in the world, and if he was persecuted and put on a cross, what will they do to us? You say, well, this is in America. Friends, I call you to awake out of slumber and realize that this is coming. You prepare now to stand then. And I was thinking this morning, as I was praying about the day, Lord, help me to stand. We do not know. You say, well, that's a long time off. You do not know that. And I want you to notice the tense of this passage as we open. Now about that time, great things are happening. People are turning to the Lord. Praise God, things are, the church is on the move. Now about that time, Herod stretched forth his hand. The idea of that stretching forth is a very sudden thing. And I want you to realize the persecution of the church, this one in particular, came on very suddenly. They were not in the back rooms where this was discussed. And you can be guaranteed in back rooms around the world, the persecution of believers, the, the, the silencing of the church is a topic of discussion. It is. And understand that. And so it, that came out in this day, and he stretched forth. He seized them. He began to vex them, to harm them. And really, as I want you to understand, when it rains, it pours for the church here because they're already dealing with a worldwide famine. So as we come into chapter number 12, that is, that is, that's going on so much so that the church of Antioch has sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to give them some relief money to help them have food to eat. I don't know how it's going to go in the, in the days ahead, but I do realize this, that there are going to be times where we go through trials where we have to care for one another. And the church will do that. Now about that time, a worldwide famine, and now, now the king is mad at us. Now the king has us in his sights. Notice the persecutor of the church in verse number one. Now about that time, Herod the king. This is Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, who killed all the babies to and under in Bethlehem. This is his grandson. And uh, it, kind of a, these, these, these uh, carvings or these reliefs are kind of interesting uh, kind of creepy looking uh, type of things. But nonetheless, this is, this is what from history that we have on Herod Agrippa the, uh, the first. His father was Herod uh, Aristobulus. He died when Herod Agrippa I was about four years old. And what's very interesting about Herod Agrippa I is that his mother at that point sent him up to Rome. We have from, from history, he sent him up to Rome and he actually grew up among the elites up there and with Claudius Caesar. The Caesar that is in power right now in this, this time. So he grew up, he was childhood playmates with Claudius Caesar. Now, you'll, you'll see this is interesting as we, as we go along here. He rules 
uh, from 37, he's appointed rule by Claudius Caesar, he's appointed rule from 37 to 44 AD. And that's, that's what we have. Give us that timeline, would you? And just help us to, uh, to set this in context. Last week we saw this, 33 AD, the, the cross. We see Pentecost right around uh, after that. Stephen is killed, 35. Uh, uh, Herod Agrippa I comes into power around 37, and he rules through there well. All this is going on up in, uh, up in Antioch. All these good things are, the, uh, all of them are happening. Claudius appointed him. Not all the Herods had the same ruler, uh, rulership. Some of them had higher amounts of, of, of uh, territory. Claudius appointed Herod Agrippa I to have the same amount of oversight as his grandfather. So he had oversight, if you'll give us the map, over Perea, Galilee, and Judea. So he had from all the way down by Jerusalem, way up uh, above Caesarea, uh, uh, Caesarea and above Galilee there, he had uh, oversight over all that area. Herod and the Jews, uh, he was partly Jewish. So he had a little bit of an affinity, though he grew up in, in, in Rome. He was an observer, uh, uh, history tells us, of the Mosaic um, uh, law to a point, he, uh, he gave uh, acknowledgement to that. And so he was known for doing anything he possibly could do to gain favor and popularity with the Jewish people. So I want that all to be in your minds as we set the stage for him now reaching out against the enemies of the Jewish, Jewish people, those that followed Jesus Christ, those that were a part of the way. And so the ones that the persecutor went after was the church, the persecuted in the church. Notice with me in verses 2 through 4, it says here that James was killed. He's the brother of John. This is the, the son of Zebedee. These guys, these guys were called the sons of thunder. Uh, why did Herod go after James? Though he had probably been tempered as he grew in the Lord, I have no doubt he still maintained his boldness. And he still maintained his voice for the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read more about that in the Gospels. But he killed the brother of James, uh, uh, James the brother of John first. This is not the same James uh, as the, the half-brother of our Lord. And so just tuck that away. There's two different James here as you, as you study along. So he's executed with a sword. And it's likely that, that this, this particular persecution, this execution, uh, was because that not only had he been considered a religious threat to the, to the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the, the scribes and the rulers of that day, but also he had likely been, uh, been, been qualified as a political threat to Herod and to his government. And just understand that those that followed Jesus Christ did not go along with the culture and worshiping Caesar and bowing to all of his demands. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do that. Their king was Jesus Christ. They had a different allegiance. And so they would have been seen as a political threat. And by the way, I just want you to realize as government uh, walks away from God, the church, as it stays with God, will always become a political threat. Do you understand that? That's when persecution begins to happen. When, when the church continues on with God and continues to live with a higher allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ than to than to government and to the rest of culture and their, their allegiance to government and, and, and their dependence upon government, uh, the, the church at that point becomes a political uh, threat. They become an, a, a sore in the government's side. 
And so while we're to pray for the government, while we're to honor them, we have to realize that at some point, truth always calls us to walk with God and not walk with culture. The church then was a political threat like even in our day because we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no president, dictator, or ruler that is in the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And one day, every man, every woman, every child will bow the knee to Jesus Christ and acknowledge the fact that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The church is a political threat. Not a threat as in getting weapons, you understand. A threat in undermining the system, the, the, the gods that they are built upon, the, 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 a threat that, that kind of uh, eats from the inside out as it uh, sees hearts changed and allegiances changed, you see. Uh, God does not call us to pick up swords and go after the government. But in that way, it's a threat because our gospel confronts their self-righteousness. I am good without God. The overwhelming philosophy of our country today is humanism. I am good without God. I do not need anyone else to help me. I, can, I am the master of my own destiny. I am good without God. The gospel severely confronts that. The church is, and true Christian faith is a political threat because it establishes a new identity and new relationships with other believers. There is a higher loyalty to one another and even in the early church, this is what was going on. There's a higher loyalty to one another than to the whole of culture. And they don't understand this bond that, that drives us to meet together today. They don't understand, well, just, just take it online. Just, just, uh, just, uh, uh, just preach through a, uh, to, through a live stream. Just do it all that way. You don't need to be together. They don't understand the common bond that, that binds us together, the need for God's people to be together in one another's presence. They don't understand that. And, and they want us to be loyal to them, not to, not to one another. And God said that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that ye love one another. Right? When you have an unwavering love, charity, sacrifice for one another, that is something that causes kingdoms and nations to be alarmed. Lastly, I just want you to tag this in your mind that true Christianity is a political threat because it yields a new kind of life. It yields a changed life. You have all these little Christs running around Antioch. And it wasn't the government that changed them. It, it was this, this Christ we put on the cross. It wasn't our reform programs. It was this Christ, they say, that, they, that we put on the cross. We don't want to hear. We don't want to keep hearing about all this. And because it yields a different kind of life, it poses a political threat. I'm just saying to you that there is not so much difference from our day to, uh, to that day in the fact that still today, when the church follows the truth of God's word, it poses a threat, it poses a problem to the, nation, uh, to the nations and to kingdoms and rulers who want to have the same position that Christ alone has the right to have. So now James is dead. Imagine, imagine how that affected the church. Imagine when we begin to hear of pastors in our nation being put to death or in prison. 
Imagine how that affects. It happens in other places around the world. We're not exempt from those types of things in the days ahead. Peter is in prison now, uh, seeing that this was, this was uh, gaining some more popularity for Herod Agrippa. Uh, he goes and finds Peter, another loudmouth, if you will. A guy that's not backing down. He's, he, is, he is going to preach the gospel. He is doing it with grace, and he's learned a lot as he's gone along. But he is another prominent leader, just like James and Peter is in prison during the days of unleavened bread. That was the seven days of, of festivities ahead of Passover, the eighth day. But they didn't, they didn't kill anybody during those days. Just like they, wouldn't, they wanted Jesus off the cross in time for them to have their Passover celebration there in Jerusalem, they did not, it wasn't right, it wasn't going to be a proper thing for them to go through the trial and go through the, the, the execution of Peter, so he's in prison. He's guarded by 16 soldiers. Now, let me ask you a question. We're not called to pick up swords. Now, Peter at one point picked up a sword, and Jesus said, no, 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 that's not, that's not how we do that. But 16 soldiers for a preacher. He doesn't have grenades. He doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have guns. You understand what I'm saying here? how much of a threat they viewed Peter to be to them. Sixteen soldiers. Now, perhaps that's because they heard back in Acts chapter number 5 when Peter escaped from prison miraculously, and so we're not going to have this happen again. And so um, maybe Herod found, uh, found out about that and said, hey, listen, I want 16 soldiers. He's chained to two other soldiers. As we read the passage, you can tell that he's behind multiple locked doors. It's not just one door and then the streets behind multiple locked doors. And I just want us to realize that the incidents we're looking at, the persecuted of the church, helps us to realize that the church of the living God had become an identifiable group in the world of that day. And it was hated and despised by both the religious and the political leaders. Hated. Herod planned to deal with Peter after Passover. And it seems that he was facing the same execution as James did. They were just waiting for the holiday to get over. What's your response? Put yourself in the church of Jerusalem's position as they have leaders who they dearly love and have been helped by. Some of these people in the church of Jerusalem had listened to him at Pentecost. They had been discipled. Put yourself in that situation. A preacher you know who is in prison awaiting most likely death. Put yourself in that situation. How do you respond when the world begins to crush in? How will we respond when the world continues to, to crush in upon us as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? How will you respond? Now, here's what we, we learn. The church has been preaching. They begin to face persecution. But how did they respond? Think about this. Frederick Faber said it this way in a poem. Ill that God blesses is our good. And unblessed good is ill. And all is right that seems most wrong if it be his goodwill. Realize when we realize that our God is still in control, he is sovereign, he is mighty over all the affairs of men, that we can rest in his good care, even when everything around us is crumbling down. What is your response to the opposition? 
you to hear about persecution, maybe in your heart you're wrestling with that, that whole thought and saying, listen, I, I don't think that'll come in our nation, or I don't know if I could go through that, Pastor. Listen, let's rest in the good care of God, and notice what the church does in verses 5 through 18, the prayer of the church. They go right to prayer. Notice in verse 5, it was diligent prayer. It says, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The crisis moved in the prayer. The church, not a building, a called out assembly from the world by Jesus Christ was gathered together in that place, praying together. Praying together. One of the burdens that I have for our church family is that we would learn and love to pray together. That it not be an awkward thing, but that we learn and love to pray together. And friends, I believe that even 2020 has been part of pushing us towards that more and more. But I believe that as crises come, that we are going to be driven to prayer because we realize all control is out of our hands. Even our rights might uh, not be there for us to lean upon. And we, we are driven to prayer because the only person that we have to help is God. They prayed without ceasing. The idea of diligent eager prayer, marked by persistence. Another area that this word is translated as fervent in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, where we're told to have fervent charity among ourselves. Charity that is persistent. It's eager. doesn't have to be prodded. And so they prayed. They, you do not see here that the pastor sent out a text and said, let's all get together and pray. You do see that the church gathered together in that house and they prayed. It was a, a heart level, we must pray. Oh, that God would call us to prayer. Oh, that the Holy Spirit of God in each of our hearts would call us to prayer in these days. Maybe the Lord is burdening you about that. Act on it. James 5 and verse number 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. They understood that they weren't wrestling against flesh and blood. They were not wrestling against Herod. They were wrestling, as the Bible goes on to say, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, behind the scenes. It's not, it's not faces, folks. It's not faces that we're wrestling with. We are wrestling with Satan. We're wrestling with the powers of darkness in our day. And the Bible tells us, after it tells us to put on the armor, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Have your armor on. Have the shield up. But make sure you're praying. May God move us to diligence in prayer like these folks. May God help us to understand that just like they had to understand, the battle was not between Herod and the church. The battle's not between the left and the right. The battle's not between Democrat and Republican. The battle's not between conservative and, and liberal, but between righteousness and evil, between God's truth and Satan's lies. That's the battle. The battle line has always been there. It's always been there throughout all of history. Since the Garden of Eden, it's been there. We must see the spiritual truth of this. And that's why, as God people, you say, well, what's the most important thing I can do in this day? The most important thing is that we would pray that we get along with the God of heaven and we'd seek his mind and his direction in this day. The church did not need to figure out, oh, well, let's call our lawyers, though it might, there are times to call the lawyers. Do you understand? But in that day, it was all we can do is go pray, and that's the most important thing that we can do. It was dependent prayer. Notice they said that they made prayer unto God. They did not speak to one another. Sometimes in our praying, 
I'm not saying they didn't come in and talk to one another in fellowship. I'm, I'm saying their prayer wasn't towards one another. They realized the, the focus of their prayer was towards God. Sometimes we can, we can talk in our prayers and pray in our prayers and forming each other of, of incidents. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting like that where, uh, why don't you just stop praying and inform me what you would like to uh, tell me about, uh, and then let's get back to praying to God. I'm not, I'm not being mean with that. I'm just saying sometimes we, we, we forget we're praying to God. And by the way, that means that every one of us, no matter how long we've prayed or if we're brand new Christians, friends, let's get rid of this high church attitude towards prayer. God wants to hear from you as a child. Stop worrying about what words and what you sound like. And I believe that's one of the reasons the church fears to pray together because, well, I might not sound put together. <laughs> Stop. Let's realize we're talking together to the Holy One. If you can string two words together, pray. Just pray. Pray from your heart. Tell God what's on your heart. Ask Him uh, simple, uh, dependent prayers. And so prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. They realize 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't have the power to pull down strongholds, but God does. I love the quote, and it's really from a hymn of William Cowper. 1779 wrote part of a hymn. And in that, he said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. We think, well, if the pastor's on his knees, then, then, then it matters. Listen, the church together is an, an, an unstoppable force when it gets together and prays. Oh, that God would call us to the same prayer that they prayed in that day. Lord, help us to return to that. I wonder if you'll demonstrate to God your dependence on Him through prayer this week. Are you going to trust in the arm of flesh? Oh, God has a will for us this week, but He wants us to be in prayer. You're going to show your dependence on God through prayer over fear? over relational um, problems, over opposition to your faith, over your sickness. Friends, is God not still the God that holds our health in his hands? Have you been praying for your church family that God would protect us in this day? We've gathered together, and what everyone else wants us to do is to stay apart. One of the, the daily prayers of, of my life has been, God, would you protect your people as they obey you? God was the one who, in, in, the, in Egypt, spared the children of Israel from the plague. Didn't he? Was it because they were always doing the right thing? They had the right mindset? It was of the Lord's mercy. Would you even commit this week to continue to pray for churches across our country that God will protect and give health and give strength? God is able to do that. Oh, we can, we can show dependence on God. Listen, I as well as you can get a virus. And if that's God's will, we need to submit to that. Some people's tendency in the midst of something like that is to, to immediately look for the blame. Well, where did the virus come from? Who knows? Are you with me? Who knows? You can't see it. Who knows? God has allowed it. Now, God, help me be faithful through this time. Help me be faithful, but demonstrate dependence upon God. 
through the political battles that we're in, may we, may we demonstrate dependence on God. If you are depending on God this week, you can go through this week and have a completely restful week. Completely at peace in your heart. That might not be the case for all of us, but it's still true. If we will depend on God, we can be at peace in our hearts. What about a rebelling child? Your heart aches. Would you show dependence upon God, bringing that child to the Lord, saying, God, they're yours, I'm asking you to do a special work in their lives? Oh, when they prayed, what was the response of God? What was the response of God? Hudson Taylor said it this way, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. When we pray, God works. And notice the power of God in the, the remaining part of this chapter as prayer of God's church together unleashed the power of God. God answered their prayer. And I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 7 through 19, God released their preacher. He's in prison with 16 guards. And the angel of the Lord, verse number 7, he comes in, the light shines. Where did they get that light? It was God's light. Goodness, God is working, and he raises, you know, he, he wakes him up from his slumber. The chains fell off. He did not unlock the chains. The chains fell off. The power of God is being all over the story. And his chains fell off his hands, and he says, hey, get dressed, let's go. It wasn't until he was out in the street that he began to realize, <laughs> God just did this. Now, I don't know if Peter had heard through the grapevine somehow that the church was together praying. I, I, don't, I, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, he knew in that moment God had just released him from prison. Now, I am really personally, I'm personally done with putting God inside of a box. As I read through the book of Acts, I'm praying that God will show himself strong and mighty in our day and show his power to the people of Kettering through our lives together. Let's stop putting God inside of a box. Well, that just happens in that day. Listen, friends, come on. God is still God, isn't he? I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, maybe, maybe if we got together and prayed and began to allow the Holy Spirit to guide our, our prayer times together, maybe we'd see God leading us to pray things that are beyond our ability and see God come through with great power as he released his preacher. And so this, this preacher, Peter, he, he's standing out there. Well, i got to go somewhere. So where does he go? He goes to one of the, the homes that is known for gathering. And he begins to knock on the door. You know the story, but it's amazing as, as, as he is greeted there in that, on that, uh, in that moment, Rhoda is so excited by what she knows to be true. She runs back inside. And we give people grief. We give this church grief for for not believing it in the moment they heard it. But I, I just, just imagine for a moment, we're all in here praying for the release of someone from the Montgomery County Jail or from a prison nearby, and, and they show up at the front door, someone walks into the auditorium and says, hey, he's standing out there. Like, that's what you're praying for, but it says they were astonished. Let's get back to allowing God to be God and enjoying being astonished by the bigness of our God. Let's not put God inside of a box where we're never astonished anymore. We're never amazed anymore at the power of God. 
the force of earnest, halting prayer was mightier than Herod and mightier than hell. G. Campbell Morgan said, a great preacher of the past. And that's exactly true. It was mighty in that day. Now, I want to draw out something here that's very important for you parents to grab a hold of, and it's this. John Mark, a young man, maybe 17 years old, maybe younger, was witnessing all this. He's witnessing his mom open up her home to the church to gather there. He's hearing the prayers of the church as they're praying earnestly and fervently for Peter's release. He sees this. Don't you think part of the reason that, that John Mark said, you know, I'll go, I'll go along. Yes, I'll go along with, with Paul and Barnabas back up to Antioch and then on to the missionary journey. Though he came back, I understand that. Don't you think that the spiritual leanings of Mark's heart might have gone back to witnessing God's power in the church? Don't you think that God using Mark to write the book of Mark under the, the mouth of Peter, don't you think it kind of goes back to a time where in the church he saw the mighty move of God? I pray that this generation, the children that we are being taught right now and the children that are here on Wednesday nights and Sunday school, I pray that they'll see the power of God in us, friends. Let's not, let's not, let's not say, you know, you can't, you can't raise godly children anymore. We're not going for good, we're going for godly, right? True? There's a lot of good people in the world. We want godly children. And I think a lot of times we've gotten to the mind that, you know, you can't do it anymore. Listen, if the church is the church and the assembly where families can bring their children in and the power of God is evident, people are getting saved, people's lives are being changed, they see anger dropping off, they see, uh, they see harsh attitudes dropping off, they see all those things happening in our, in our lives, they see uh, 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 people who used to drink uh, stop drinking, they see all of these changes going on in people's lives where God is changing them into Christ's likeness. Oh, the mighty power of that upon a young, uh, young person's heart. Mark saw the mighty acts of God. I want our children here to see the mighty acts of God in this place. Let's not put them in a box. It was an amazing release. It was an unbelieved release as they, uh, as they, they heard of it. It was a troubling release. Verse 18 through 19, down at the jailhouse, it caused a no small stir. I love how Luke, the doctor, says this. It was no small stir. In other words, it was big deal. No small stir. And according to custom in that day, a Roman guard, if he were to lose a, a prisoner, he was to receive the same sentence as the prisoner was going to receive. So they were put to death. The Bible says that Herod goes down from Judea because it's built on a hill there at Jerusalem. He goes down from Judea up to, to Caesarea. He went north. If you'll give that to me on a, a map here, he, uh, I just want you to, to see where he's going. And so he's, he's going to go up there where there was a palace. And I wonder if he didn't stay at Herod the Great's palace that was already built up, up there in Caesarea. Keep that there for a moment, if you would. So he's going up there. Look at verse 20. God's power has been made known through the release of a preacher, but now we see the judgment of their adversary Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. You can see that where those cities, uh, cities were. And they came to him with one accord. Essentially what's going on here is there's a little bit of a, there's, there was an offense between the cities of Tyre and Sidon and Herod. 
they depended on likely grain from the area of Galilee, and there was a trade issue that was going on. And so they had come back, they had made friends with uh, a servant of Herod's, and probably there might have been some bribery that went on. Bribery is nothing new in government. Uh, probably some bribery behind the scenes, backroom deals, and so there's a little bit of a, a, an angst between Herod and these people because they've gotten to his friend, and now he's petitioned them to make this reconciliation. And it turns out in their favor because in verse number 21, and upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal pairs, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. So he's going to make this public announcement about this deal that they were making between Herod and the people of Tyre and Sidon. So I want you to grab this. This is a big day. It, it, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. And uh, Josephus teaches us that this appointed day was the second, grand, uh, second in a grand celebration of the games after the Roman fashion in honor of a victory and triumph of the Emperor Claudius on his return from Britain and not in honor merely of his birthday or an anniversary of his reign. On this day, Herod gave his answer to the uh, uh, Tyrrhenians and the Sidonians uh, their ambassadors in the great theater where the games were being celebrated. The affair was made a magnificent occasion insomuch as the, uh, also the answer was favorable. Luke says that Herod um, had arrayed himself in royal apparel. That is stating it mildly. As Luke is known, uh, known to do, uh, it's no small stir. He's, according to history, Josephus speaks that the festal robe was wrought in silver so that on this morning, the, the slanting rays of the sun made the king to glisten and sparkle with brilliance. The robe was actually weaved of silver. So I just want you to, it's just a, a, an amazing display of pomp and circumstance and of his, his, uh, his self-thought. So Herod uh, ascends to the place where he's going to make this oration. The people are shouting, it's the voice of a god, it's the voice of a god, and they are giving him just... They're stoking his ego, right? And in that moment, he did not say, he did not say, no, I'm not God. He took the honor. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord, the same angel that tapped Peter on the shoulder and said, wake up, we're going. The same angel was sent of God down to take the life of a very arrogant king because he gave not God the glory. He was eaten of worms in such a way that it was likely visible to the human eye. This reminds us that without God, we might look great on the outside, rotten on the inside. He was struck down. Does God still rule in the affairs of men? Don't take God's glory. I don't care how many people you rule over, don't take God's glory. Belshazzar found out that when his nation was overtaken, he had taken the glory of God, and it says that in Daniel 5, verse 23. He had not glorified God, and God took him down. Isaiah 48, verse number 1, 11. I will not 
give my glory unto another. Do not take God's glory, friends. You're healthy because of God. You have what you have because of God. Your talents are not your own. They're God's. Do not rob God of his glory. Those who fear the Lord will never take his glory. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Oh, that the people in our lives would see us giving great glory to God, where we respond not with, hey, I take that to myself. Hey, uh, God is, is to be praised. Oh, your children are well-behaved. Praise God. Uh, you seem to be peaceful in life. Praise God. Congratulations on your promotion. Praise God. The fact of the matter is, Herod took the glory and God took him. And I believe this is in direct relation to the power of God being evidenced because the church prayed. But notice one other thing. As quickly as Herod is taken off the scene, he is being buried in a, a king's cemetery somewhere. The Bible says in verse number 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod is diminished and God's word is exalted and it grew and multiplied. We can expect that same thing in our day, the circulation of God's truth. Here we have another progress report of the church. The word of God grew and multiplied. Barnabas and Saul go back up to Antioch. In your notes there, I gave you other progress reports throughout the book of Acts, but the fact of the matter is, in this progress report, the grand progress report of God at work in the world through his church and through people like you and me, his word began to grow and circulate all the more. They tried to stop it, and what did it do? Do you think there were mouths of believers involved in that grand circula uh, uh, circulating of the word of God? Yes, there was. Just as they had preached and proclaimed the word of God, they continued to preach and proclaim the word of God everywhere they went. Opposition and persecution are going to come, but God's word will always triumph. Always. It'll always triumph. And I want us to know this this morning. God is not dead. Though we as his servants might come to a point where persecution takes our lives, God is not bound, though we might be bound. His word and his person, there he is not dead and he is not bound. And if I have one goal, and I believe it's the Lord's goal this morning, just to encourage you, we still serve a living Savior who's still in control. And if a chapter like this happened back in the early church, I can expect that the same God will continue to work in our world today. But we must be submitted to his will just like they were. His will is not for us to grow silent. His will is for us to stand up, to speak up, come what may, by his power. The power is going to be found in prayer. How I encourage you I'll encourage you. Things aren't over. And how we must, how we must seek the God of heaven. And I wonder how God's worked in your heart today about that. Let's be like this church. Let's be like this church that got together. And, Lord, we need you. And let's expect God to work in his power. Even in these days, I call you to prayer. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people that believes that our God is not dead and that our God is not bound, that 
He is still alive and well, and he's still working in this world today. We're on his side. And nothing ever can, and nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.